That's chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this weekend. The Nances weekend welcome the Detroit Tigers and DC United on Saturday night at 7:30 hosts the LA Galaxy. Register at waltersdc.com/events and receive a free old-time logger for doing so. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a long drive, deep to right field, way back, forget about it, going, going, and gone goodbye. In and out of the upper deck, bang, zoom goes Corey Dickerson on his first swing off the injured list. With a two-run homer, his first of the year. Here's Jorge Soler, pitch. Swing a high drive, deep center field, back on this one, call to the warning track, at the wall, he leaps, and it's gone. A towering two-run homer to left center field for Jorge Soler. He's done it again. And he puts the Marlins in front three to two. Second baseman arrives well toward the hole in the pitch. Swung a ground ball up the middle. Birdie's right there. Shortstop steps on second. Throws to first. And the game is over. The Marlins turn yet another double play. And a ground ball up the middle with a shortstop positioned perfectly. Six to three on the double play. And the Marlins have themselves a series victory taking the first two from the Nationals. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, May 18, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So one of the more amazing things about this baseball season, and we hit on this on the last installment of the podcast, what the Miami Marlins are doing. The Marlins now are 22-21, and 21, despite having a hideous run differential of minus 54. I mean, for comparison's sake, the Nats have a run differential of minus 22, and yet they're 18 and 25. How and why are the Marlins doing this? Well, they now are an incredible 14 and 1 in one-run games, as each of the first two games of this uh, three-game series for the Nats at the Marlins has been a one-run loss for the Nats. Tuesday evening, we had the 5-4 walk-off loss, and Wednesday evening, a 4-3 loss. Mackenzie Gore was an ad starting pitcher, a uh, rather uneven outing for him. Corey Dickerson, in his first major league game in a month and a half, did hit a homer. But Mark, somehow, someway, the Marlins keep winning these one-run games. The Nats are 7-10 in one-run games. That's a more, you know, normal record in one-run games. The Marlins are 14-1. I don't know how, but they are. I don't know either, Al, because you watch this game and you say to yourself, what exactly did they do so well to win the game? They went one for nine with runners in scoring position. They got 
the big two-run homer from Jorge Soler, and I guess that's the difference is that they did that, although Corey Dickerson hit one for the Nats. I mean, they got a double from De La Cruz in the sixth. They got a sack fly. I mean, they did not do a whole lot in this game. They went through a bunch of pitchers. They threw strikes. The Nationals only drew one walk against them. I feel like this is the kind of thing that eventually is going to even itself out. The baseball gods are going to punish the Marlins in the second half of the season with a lot of one-run losses. You remember, of course, the original 2005 Nationals that went 50-31 and in the first half of the season and 31-50 and the rest of the way. They were not quite this good, but they were brilliant in one-run games early on that season. And I'll always remember this, Frank Robinson some point in July as things were starting to go downhill, he knew that they weren't going to get it back. He knew that that record in one-run games was misleading, that that was going to catch up to them. He knew they didn't have the lineup to pull all those kind of close wins off. And he was right because they completely fell apart the rest of the way. And hey, if the Marlins can keep it going, more power to them, good for them. But it does feel like this is going to catch up to them eventually, and this is not going to be the way they play all year long. Yeah, there are teams that do have seasons in which those teams have like these inexplicably great records in one-run games. But by and large, when you're doing what the Marlins are doing, it's going to come crashing down. It's a house of cards that is going to come tumbling down. So we shall see. But more of that on the Marlins Chat podcast. Uh, We focus on the Nationals on this podcast. And this was a McKenzie Gore game. And, you know, like I said, uneven outing for him. It wasn't all bad. But, you know, the final line was not what you would want. Four runs in five and a third innings. He only gave up five hits, but three of the hits were extra base hits, a home run, a triple, and a double. He issued two walks and two wild pitches, but he had another high strikeout game, seven strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, 93 pitches, 60 strikes versus 33 balls. Bottom of the second, he allowed a run on a walk, a wild pitch, a single, and an RBI sack fly, all in succession with one out. And he then issued a second wild pitch, Bottom of the fourth, Gore allowed two runs, leadoff single by Luis Arise through the right side of the infield, and then a first pitch two-run homer by Jorge Soler, he of the walk-off homer in game one of this series. Uh, This one was a bomb to center field for a 3-2 Marlins lead. And then also in the inning, Gore gave up a one-out triple by Gene Segura to deep left center, despite Segura having been down at 1.12. And then Gore, bottom of the sixth, allowed a run on a one-out walk of Jorge Soler, and then a one-out opposite field RBI double by Brian De La Cruz to the right center field gap for a 4-2 Marlins lead. It's been kind of odd with Gore these last few outings. His last outing was at a strange start this past Friday night at Nationals Park. 3-2 loss to the New York Mets. Four scoreless innings, but on 96 pitches. So he only lasted for the four innings. But what'd you make of Mackenzie Gore on Wednesday evening? Just a little bit off in a few ways. The pitch counts are kind of a little bit of a concern. He battled back. It looked like he was going to be in real trouble. I think it was at over 70 after four innings. So he did bounce back from that. But long at bats, really costly mistake to Solaire. We saw the previous night, you leave a pitch out and over the plate to him, he is going to do major damage on it. And you know, like Hunter Harvey, that's not where he wanted that one. And he paid the price for it. And then I look at the two walks. They both eventually came around to score, and that's going to cost you. We've seen kind of his kryptonite, if there is one, is the walk that's hurt him a few times this year. And in this case, in a close one-run game, that was the difference. And yet, you still come away from it and say, hey, bunch of strikeouts, good fastball. He had the ability to get out of some jams and situations that might have gotten worse, you know, had he not been able to clamp down. So there is still good in there. And if this is the worst that there is of him, then that's still you know, a decent sign, but did not finish strong. 
unlike that start in Arizona a couple of weeks ago where he came out blazing, you know, runners on in the sixth and he finished back-to-back strikeouts. This time he did not finish strong. And that, and then the mistake to Solaire, and I think that was kind of the difference in the whole game. Yeah, I mean, you look at Gore's numbers now for this season, nine starts, the ERA is 369, the whip is 145, the strikeouts per nine innings, 11.27. There is so much to like. I mean, the nit to pick would be he's putting guys on base. I mean, he's got a whip approaching one and a half. You want to get that thing down there. The walks have been an issue at times in these last few outings. The pitch count has gotten up there, but you know, the strikeouts play, we've talked about that. That is such an encouraging thing moving forward for him when you look long term. And, you know, the worst of him is just him, you know, losing his control a little bit, putting some guys on base. He's not giving up a lot of home runs. He, for the most part, is avoiding the big inning. I mean, it's hard to think of even like one real blow up inning that Mackenzie Gore has had so far. This continues to be good. I mean, we are starting to see some separation between him and Josiah Gray in terms of results for this season. Like Gray's ERA now for this season is nearly a full run lower than Gore's. But, you know, that can change. Gore's strikeouts are a lot higher than Gray's. Each guy's whip is more or less the same. But yeah, I think with Gore, it's just, you know, he's putting guys on base. He's just got to do a better job of avoiding that. Right. And let's remember this. He's essentially a rookie. By definition, he's not. He had enough starts for San Diego last year. He's essentially a rookie, first full big league season, and there are going to be some growing pains. And like we said, if this is the worst of him and we do believe in who he's going to be in the long run, then things should progressively get better and he's going to learn from these kind of outings. It's mostly nitpicking stuff. It's like you said, a few walks, a high pitch count, one mistake to a power hitter. It's not overwhelmingly bad where you say, man, he lost it, or he just can't get through a lineup a second time or a third time, or he's only good for four or five innings and then it all falls apart. It really isn't anything like that. These are fine-tuning things, and you would hope that with more experience, he figures that out and he gets better. So it's hard to find a lot to blame him for. You know, you'd like for a little bit better. You'd like for one or two pitches in key moments to be a little bit better. That's not the end of the world. And had the Nats done just a little bit more offensively, he might have come out of this actually with a win or at worst, a no decision. Nats Shed would like to wish Lynn Waller a happy birthday. Lynn and her boyfriend Dom attended last year's podcast party at Walters and are avid listeners to this podcast. Lynn's favorite Nationals game is the same as mine. Steven Strasburg's Major League debut from June 8th, 2010. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here's the 2-2 pitch. Swing a ground ball, roll to short. This will bring in a run. Birdie has it. He'll throw to first. Close play, and call is just out. Wow. Dickerson scores. Vargas holds it second. It's now Miami 4 and the Nationals 3. The Nats in this game offensively did have nine hits, but drew just one walk, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. Now, two of the hits were extra base hits, including a home run. And uh, I think that the guys who provided the extra base hits are worth getting into here. So Corey Dickerson, he on Wednesday evening started a major league game for the first time since April 1st when he suffered that left calf strain that had him on the 10-day injured list from April 2nd until this past Monday, May 15th. And this kind of worked out well from a standpoint of Joey Medesis is now on the paternity list. So Dickerson on Wednesday evening was an ad starting designated hitter at number six batter. By the way, corresponding roster move to Manessis going on the paternity list. Jake Alou is back uh, after just a few days. Uh, he got recalled from AAA Rochester. But Dickerson on Wednesday evening, two for four with a solo homer and a single. And how about the homer? Two runs second for the Nats. Corey Dickerson, a one out, two run homer off the second deck in right field for a 2 nothing Nats lead, 432 feet per stat cast. And Dickerson in the Nats, one run seventh, a leadoff single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. So Corey Dickerson, in case you're unfamiliar with his work, this is his age 34 season. That signed him this past January, one-year $2.25 million contract. This is a guy who can hit. If you look at his numbers, 2019 through 2022, over 1,100 major league plate appearances, OPS plus of 105. He's a big guy too. I mean, you look at him, like he's got some girth to him. That was some homer that he hit. And uh, you talk about hitting the ground running, you know, first major league game in a month and a half. And uh, he hit some shot at uh, Lone Depot Park on Wednesday evening. Well, and I think about for the last month, pretty much from the moment he got hurt and we started to see other guys take over and we're saying to ourselves, well, when he's healthy, are you really going to put him back in the lineup? And is that going to come at somebody else's expense? And this guy isn't, you know, the future around here. So how much playing time should he get? Well, good on Corey, because in his very first at bat off the IL, he put a lot of that to rest and at least showed us all why he may still have some value here. Now he's got to continue it, of course, but this was a good debut for him. I'll call it a debut, even though he 
started one game way back on April 1st. He does hit right-handers well. He's not the hitter he was a few years ago all around, but the last three seasons, the splits against righties still pretty good, not against lefties. So I think you're going to see him in there almost all of the time against righties. It worked out for him to DH this game, like you said, with uh, Manessis on the paternity list. We'll see the next few days how that goes, but I do think he will be in left field here before long. And I got to say, right now, I'm giving him a chance. I'm letting him play against righties for certain, see what he can do for you, because the other guys they put out there, not really producing all that much anymore. Alex Call has cooled off quite a bit. Stone Garrett has cooled off quite a bit. And a left-handed bat that does have some pop, I think in this lineup, that is something that's helpful. Now, no, he's not the future, but at the moment, I think you signed him over the winter. You gave him $2.25 million, put him out there every day, see what he can do, especially against righties, and then go from there. If the Nats are going to hit any homers this season, you got to say to yourself, okay, who realistically can get going from a home run hitting standpoint? And Dickerson is one of those guys who realistically could maybe give you some homers as this season goes on. So heck yeah. And if he's going to hit homers like the one that he hit on Wednesday evening, double heck yeah, have him out there. So good job, Corey Dickerson. And good job, Jamer Candelario. Has Jamer Candelario gotten going here? He on Wednesday evening as an ad starting third baseman and number five batter, three for four with a double and two singles. He in a two-run second had a one-out full count opposite field single to left field. Top of the fourth, a one-out double off the right field warning track on a one-two pitch. And top of the ninth, a leadoff single to left field, despite having been down at one point, one-two. Third consecutive impact game for Candelario offensively. He in the 5-4 walk-off loss at the Marlins on Tuesday evening, Got on base four times, three for three with a double, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And Candelario in the 10-3 win over the Mets at Nationals Park this past Monday, two for four with a triple and a single. He has been really struggling for the most part this season. He had a really bad 2022 season, but he had good 2020 and 2021 seasons. And I know that part of the Jamer Candelario narrative in the offseason was that this was a guy who could really benefit from the uh, outlawing or minimizing of defensive shifts. I don't know that we're necessarily seeing that right now, but we are seeing a guy hit like a real professional hitter here. I mean, he's been good these last few games. Yeah, singles and doubles, and that's what they kind of expected him to be. It's what eight straight plate appearances that he reached base going back to Sunday, and the streak finally ended on a scorched line drive that was caught in the sixth, then he came back the next at bat in the ninth and let off with a single. So good stuff from him. It's a little weird. Every you know night at the end of the night, you look at the box score and, and see what the season totals are. And I feel like every few days, it's changing who is leading this team and who is really struggling. And Candelario was way down there for a while. He's starting to climb back up the OPS over 700. Lane Thomas is at 762. But Alex Call has dropped to 676. Dominic Smith starting to hit better, 277. Cabert Ruiz is down to 229 on his average and 628 on the OPS. That's not good for a guy who's hitting right in the heart of the lineup and who not that long ago had a pretty high average and was one of their more consistent hitters. So what we're seeing here is, and I think that's reflective in their lack of offense, 
there's a lot of inconsistency. There really isn't anybody that you can say day in and day out is producing. They usually have two or three who are hitting at a time, but it's not always the same two or three. And when those guys get cold, somebody else gets hot. We have not seen you know four or five of them at the same time get a good week going. And I don't know if that will happen or not, but I think that's part of the issue here is that just a real lack of consistency top to bottom in the lineup. K-Bit Ruiz so far in this series, 0 for 4 in each game. C.J. Abrams so far in this series, 0 for 7 with six strikeouts. And, you know, to your point of what you were just talking about, I mean, of course, part of it is we're still early in the season. But yeah, this is not a great offensive team. It does do some good things at times and does have some good games. And we've talked about that. But I like to use OPS Plus just because it kind of normalizes everything. It's like a one-stop shop. 100 is average, above 100 good, below 100 bad. Going into Wednesday, Pretty much every Nats regular, save for Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, and Victor Robles, who's hurt, had an OPS plus under 100. So it's a bunch of below league average batters, and to varying degrees. I mean, some guys are like right below 100, some guys are way below 100, but that's what this is. You know, so as, as we've discussed, I mean, it really is on the Ruizes and the Abrams and the Luis Garcias. Those are the guys who you want to see truly hit, and they've all been kind of up and down, just like everyone in this lineup has been up and down. We are kind of waiting for someone to catch fire to any degree. And as the weather starts to warm up, maybe you see that. I mean, I don't think we're going to see Kyle Schwarber in June of 2021, but it would be lovely to see someone truly get hot. I mean, has anyone really gotten hot yet for the Nats offensively? We kind of started to see Joey Manessis do this, and I'm not going to call it unfortunately. It's a great reason that he's away from them for a few days, and congrats to him and his wife on the birth of their son. But you hope that three days away isn't going to ruin the progress or at least stifle it a little bit from what he was doing because he was starting to get hot. He was hitting 300 at the time. So hopefully, but you know, he is a guy that you sort of built this lineup around. So you would hope that he can do it. Ruiz, just because of his importance to the team, you really want to see a little bit more consistency from him. At times, he's looked very good at the plate. At times, he has not looked good. And CJ Abrams, you mentioned it, after that really impressive series against the Mets, he's looked lost up there and in part because he's not seeing fastballs at all. You heard Kevin Franson mention it on the broadcast. It's a steady dose of change-ups and sliders and curveballs. He's going to have to figure out how to either to lay off of those and force them to throw them over the plate or figure out how to make contact on some of these as well. He came up in some big spots in this game. There were chances. He and Call, I think, in the seventh after the... Uh, ground out, scored the run, but wasn't out. And then Abram struck out with a chance to tack on another run. And then Thomas struck out on a high fastball. They didn't give themselves a lot of opportunities in this game, but that was one of them. And CJ Abrams, who has been good late and in big moments, came up really short in that one. That's bullpen on Wednesday evening was good. Uh, two relievers combined for two and two thirds scoreless innings. Andres Machado won and a third scoreless innings. And Carl Edwards Jr. won in a third scoreless innings with a couple of strikeouts. He came into the game, bottom of the seventh, the runner on first, two outs, Nats down 4-3, struck out the Marlins' number two batter and designated hitter Garrett Cooper on four pitches. That was a big spot, you know, relatively speaking, and, you know, especially given that Edwards has been struggling lately. Boy, it felt like he needed something like that, and he got it. And then Edwards tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, despite giving up a leadoff first pitch double by Luis Arise on a weird play, a fly ball to shallow center. Bottom of the eighth inning, Carl Edwards Jr., who got the last out of the seventh, will start the eighth. Facing Luis Arise, who swings and hits one in the air to shallow left center. Alex Call of the run coming in. Missed the ball. It's picked up by Vargas. Arise trying for second, and the throw will not be in time. He goes in with a head first dive. 
I don't know if Cole was shaken up or what, but he like lay dead on the field while the ball was still rolling. Now, you know, I don't want to kill Cole because again, if he was shaken up, if he felt like he was injured, then I'm not going to say, hey, why didn't you get up and run after the ball? But he did get up and stay in the game. And I don't know. I didn't think that that was a great look, man. Like you fail to make a tough catch. Okay. But the play is still ongoing. Like to just lay there like, you know, a dead guy in a Western. I thought that was kind of bizarre. Everything about that play was really weird. He maybe didn't even have to dive for it. I'm not going to say it was an easy catch, but he goes to dive. He holds his glove up pretty high and it just goes right by him. It maybe nicked the glove a little bit. It was not a shoestring attempt at a catch or anything like that. And then he goes down and I had the same feeling watching it thinking like, oh God, he got hurt. And maybe he just knew that Vargas was backing him up or... Maybe he was banged up and a little bit of that impact that you lose your breath or something and you need a moment to catch yourself. I don't know, but it was not a good look, both the failure to make the catch, but beyond that, like you said, just the lying there and thankfully it didn't cost them. That felt like in the moment that could have been really, really costly. So good on Vargas for backing him up. And I don't know what exactly was going on with Call, but that was an ugly play in a lot of ways, both the attempt at it and then the reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, there's a tendency when you're playing a sport or doing something athletic and you try to do something big and you don't do it. And then there's kind of like the, oh, you know, and, and you sort of like relish in your failure for a second. That's fine in your backyard, okay? That's fine at the gym during a major league game like, no, the play is ongoing. Like, you know, wallow in your pity after the play or something like that. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was just weird what Cole did. Thankfully, it's not the worst giving up on a play by a national center fielder in history. Do you know the one that I'm talking about going back a ways? It's a good decade plus since the all-time gaffe in that department by a guy named Niger Morgan. Adam Jones of the Orioles hits a ball to the wall in center field. Niger Morgan goes back, leaps for it, comes down, looks at his glove, thinks he has it, realizes he doesn't, slams his glove to the ground in utter frustration, believing that he did not rob a home run and therefore it's a free trip around the bases. Little did he realize the ball was sitting 20 feet to his side as Jones is racing around the bases. And I think it was Josh Willingham had to go retrieve it and it turned into an inside the park home run. So thankfully this wasn't as bad as that. And uh, on the list of embarrassing moments by national center fielders, this was not that, but still not a great look for Alex Call. We have had some good glove slams in Nationals history. Nigel Morgan, Sean Kelly. That's a good essay question. Compare and contrast the two famous glove slams in Nationals history. Also regarding the Nats, former Nats starting pitcher Anibal Sanchez. He spoke with reporters on Wednesday afternoon at Lone Depot Park in Miami. Uh, Anibal, in a social media post on Tuesday night, announced his retirement. We hit on this uh, for a bit on the last installment of the podcast. Very good career for Anibal Sanchez. I mean, obviously a hero for the 2019 World Series champion Nats, but he pitched for the Marlins. He pitched for the Detroit Tigers, pitched for the Atlanta Braves. A lot of postseason experience, a good bit of regular season success. You know, not a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but you talk about like a good career. This guy had a good career. And very durable for a long time, always reliable for you. And let's remember at the time, the Nats pick him up after... He had had sort of a bounce back with the Braves. He was going to be their number four starter. He got off to a terrible start the first like six weeks of that season. He hurts his hamstring. We're thinking, are you even going to bring him back? He might be finished. He came back and was phenomenal the rest of the way straight through October. And anytime 
anybody. I just remember in the playoffs, it just kept coming up from national reporters would refer to the national starting pitching and about their big three of Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. And Davey Martinez every time would say, hang on, it's not a big three, it's a big four because Anibal Sanchez has been just as good. And he was right because down the stretch of that year and into October, he was just as important to them. Didn't go as well the next year. He sat out then a year, came back, and we kind of scoffed at it at the time, like, why are the Nationals bringing him back in 2022? And you know what? Down the stretch last year, he was important for them. He was probably their most consistent pitcher. I was glad to see him be able to go out on his own terms. I'll just say that I really, really enjoyed covering him, both because of the way he pitched. You know me, I love a good crafty right-hander. That's what he was, the butterfly changeup, all that. I, I love that. But even more than that, just a really, really good person, good human being, cared about his family tremendously. He would fly home to Miami on off days just to be with his family and his kids it was so important to him. His little son, Annabal Jr., was a constant presence in the clubhouse, in uniform, out on the field, taking BP, hitting off a tee. A really, really good family man whose priorities were obviously in the right place all along. And so I'm glad to see that he went out on, on his own terms. I still thought there was a chance he was going to try to come back and pitch this year. I guess the offers never came for him, but really good, solid career. And I think Nats fans should always have a, a smile on their face when they think of Anibal Sanchez. Yeah, this worked out well with him announcing it on uh, Tuesday night. I mean, maybe he did this strategically. Nats are playing at the Marlins, and so he could go uh, to Lone Depot Park, and you know he could dress both media cores and you know talk to Marlins fans as well. He was on the mass and telecast of the game on Wednesday evening. That was good. I was thinking about this though, and you know we know the deal with the Nats, but think about now all of the players on the Nats over these last few years for whom the Nats ended up being their last team before retiring. So many guys now have ended up coming to the Nats or being with the Nats over these last few seasons and then ended up retiring. You think about Anibal Sanchez, Ryan Zimmerman, Gerardo Parra, Alex Avila, Jordy Mercer, Steve Ciszek, Will Harris. We'll, of course, see what happens with Steven Strasburg. And, you know, I'm not even including guys who haven't necessarily retired but aren't in the majors anymore. You know, Alcides Escobar is not in the majors anymore. Eric Fetty is not in the majors anymore. Cesar Hernandez is playing in the minors. You know, it says a lot about where the Nats have been these last few years. I think one of the best things about this season is that we are watching so many more guys who feel like they are part of the future as opposed to just, you know, these temporary placeholders or guys who were here in the past. And I think that's a sobering list when you go through all of the guys who were here 2020 through 2022 for whom the Nats ended up being those players' final team before retiring or being out of the majors. Yeah, I'll put Michael Franco on that list probably as well. It's a good reminder. I, I need to update this column. I write it every few years. I've done it, but looking exactly at that, players who played for the Nationals and then never played anywhere else again. I did it years ago the first time because it felt like there were a lot. And sure enough, there were, especially in those early years. And if I remember, if I have this right, the 2006 Nationals, not a very good team. There were 20 players on that team who never played in the big leagues again after that season. 20 in one season. Thankfully, they're nowhere close to that again. But that number would go down in the 2012 to 2019 range because they were obviously a better team, but it's gone up again the last few years. Hopefully, we won't see a lot more of that. Like you said, there are more pieces now 
who look like they're long-term pieces and not these either veterans at the end of their career or guys who get called up for a cup of coffee and then don't stick. Hopefully, there are more established big leaguers now than there were back in the day. Absolutely. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you. Email Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. That email address again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website, natschatpodcast.com. Check it out. You can listen to previous installments of the show. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website is natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Ground ball, this might do it. Hanley to first. He did it! He did it! The first in the big leagues since 2004. It was Randy Johnson. That was a perfect game. The first rookie to do it since Bud Smith in 2001. This Mother's Day, show your love with the gift of warmth and comfort from Minky Couture. Wrap her in luxury with our ultra-soft, handcrafted blankets designed to bring joy and relaxation. From elegant floral patterns to vibrant colors, there's a Minky Couture blanket for every mom. Celebrate the extraordinary woman in your life with a gift she'll cherish forever. Shop now at MinkyCouture.com because every mom deserves to feel cherished.